Romans chapter 5 and Galatians 3. And uh, we're going to read some scriptures in Romans 5, 6, and 7. And we're going to go over to Galatians 3 and read some scriptures. We're going to come back to Romans 5, 6, and 7. So you're going to have to be able to hold both of them. All right? Galatians 3 and Romans 5, 6, and 7. And we'll start in Romans 5. Now, while you're turning, let me go ahead and tell you about something. And I'm begging you to come. I mean, I'm, I'm literally, seriously begging you to come. That is a week from this Thursday. Not this Thursday, but a week from this Thursday, November 8th, 9th, and 10th, we'll be doing what we call the In the Word Seminar. And let me explain to you where this seminar came from. About almost 20 years ago, probably about 19 years ago, I was um, an associate evangelist with James Robinson. That was my official title. I was 20 years old. And uh, it was 20 years ago, so I was 20 years old. And uh, James would go in to preach crusades, and I would go in and do uh, junior high and high school public assemblies and invite the kids to come to the crusades. While I was on his staff, he met a man named Milton Green, who was a carpet cleaner. And God used Milton to, to help James to see some truths in the Bible and the Word of God, to see some types and shadows of spiritual warfare to see healing and deliverance and things like that. That's what James Robinson refers to when he refers to how God set him free using the Word. And so James invited nine couples to come and to do to have a seminar at his office. Uh, Dudley and Betsy Hall, if you know Dudley Hall here, is, was one of those couples. My wife and I was one of those couples. We're one of those couples. And so we came... And uh, only eight couples actually came, so there were 18 people, including James and Betty, I guess 20 with Milton and Joyce, and uh, he taught for three days, from nine in the morning until nine at night, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and that was what God used to open my eyes also to the Word at that time. And then he began to do it, then he did it for the staff, and then he began to invite people, and he began to do these seminars. Now, later the seminars changed somewhat. And uh, Milton is with the Lord now, but before he went to be with the Lord, he called uh, James, he called Dudley, he called me, he called Jim Hilton, he called uh, several people who had been friends of his and literally asked our forgiveness because the seminars had taken a, a different way and we'd tried to warn him. They began to go into a legalism way uh, and some things like that. So that's not what I'm talking about. If you're, if you're thinking about one of the later seminars, even though God used him, and it was very good. There were some things that were kind of anti-local church. And um, so I'm not speaking negatively. I'm just telling you the truth. But the fir those first few seminars was so, were so powerful, and God used them to open our eyes to truths of the Bible. I took from that and then put it into kind of a, a three-session seminar form, and that's what we're going to do. If you said to me, Robert, I can only attend one thing that Gateway Church does for the next 12 months, what do you want me to attend? I would say the In the Word Seminar. That's how important it is. How, how many of you here went through this seminar last year? Can I see your hand? The In the Word Seminar. And God used it, is that right? I was thinking, George and Jan, how many times did you tell me? Seven or eight times, and they still need it. So... Uh, <laughs> we all need it. The reason is because it is, it's the Bible. I'm telling you, you know, I, don't, I, have no, I have no idea how many times I've taught it. I promise you, every time I see something new, 
It is just scripture after scripture after scripture. Scripture. Unless you've been through a seminar like this, it is like no other seminar you ever go through. Because there's very few uh, comments or me even explaining. It's just the Bible explains itself. And we will go through scripture after scripture after scripture. So I'm, I'm begging you, as a pastor, if you uh, have to postpone your funeral to come to the seminar, I'm pleading with you, make plans. It'll be not this Thursday, the next Thursday, 7 to 9 Thursday night. We'll have child care Friday 7 to 9, Saturday morning 9 to 12. Please, I talked with someone this past week who actually had a speaking engagement. Uh, he's uh, coming here now, and he's a re uh, retired Dallas Cowboy football player. But I was talking to him this last week. He was supposed to speak at Promise Keepers that weekend, and he canceled it so he could come to the seminar. So please, 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 please. All right? Because I know what the Word of God produces in us. That's why I want you to come. All right, we're continuing a series on God is. And we're continuing the message, God is grace. Last week I spoke on God is grace, and I only got halfway through the message. So this will be the second part of that message. And we're going to talk about God is grace. Remember, attributes are things that God is, not things that He has. If they were things that He has, He could run out or lose them, and we'd be in trouble. These are things that He is, and He is grace. And we're going to deal with grace and law this week. I'm not preaching a series on grace, so I'm, I know I have time to go into all of it, but we need to catch this aspect of grace, and we have to understand the, the relationship, at least just a little bit, between grace and law, or we really won't catch grace. Um, years ago, when God began showing grace to me, I remember asking my wife, and this is I asked her if I could share this illustration, because this is typical of the way all of us, and this is the way I was thinking too at the time. So I said to Debbie, is a Christian under law? And this, is, this was her response. She went, no. <laughs> and so I said, no. And she said, well, sort of. And so I said, sort of? And she said, well, not really. I said, not really? And she said, well, kind of. So I said, kind of? And she said, stop it! <laughs> You're the preacher, you tell me! And that is the problem, by the way. We haven't told you. We have not preached to you the abundance and the riches and the awesomeness of the grace of God. And so most Christians still live under the law. And please understand, I am not promoting lawlessness. As a matter of fact, I'm going to show you in a minute, I am actually promoting a higher level of righteousness. That's what grace produces. So, but let's understand, are we under the law or not? And can a Christian live under grace? And what keeps us from living under grace? What keeps us from living under grace. The first thing is not understanding that grace is received, not earned. This is what keeps us from living under grace. Not understanding that grace is received, not earned. Now, you're in Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 17. Romans 5, 17. It says, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace 
and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to look at that Scripture for a minute. The second part of it says, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life. You see that little phrase, reign in life? How do you reign in life? According to this verse, you have to receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. How do you reign? Now, how many of you want to reign in life? How many of you over here want to reign in life? All right. How many of you, okay. You want to reign in life. How do you reign in life? This is what we do. Most of us don't feel like we really reign in life. As a matter of fact, we don't feel like we ever measure up. We feel like we kind of get a handle on it for a little while, and then something happens, and we blow it, and we're just, we just don't really reign in life. I, I wish I could reign in life. I mean, I, I wonder what rainers look like. You know, I, they, they probably glow in the dark. You know, I mean, they probably got something special. That maybe even, you know, have you ever seen those preachers that have those hairdos that kind of, you know, come out like this? Maybe that's what a rainer has. He's got that perfect hair that when he walks outside, it just shades him, you know, from the, from the sun, you know. Uh, they, rainers probably never have anything bad happen to them. They probably never have flat tires in the rain. And they, they probably never have a difficulty financially. And they, I just wish I could just reign in life. You know what? I'm, I'm going to start reigning in life. I'm going to start, let me think, let me set a date. January 1st, I'm going to start reigning in life. You know how we, we set January 1st to always be a better Christian, you know. So January 1st, I'm going to start reigning in life. Now, what do rainers do? This is, this is our thought process. Wonder what, wonder what rainers do. I, let's see, um, you know what, I'll bet they read their Bible a lot. January 1st, I'm going to start reading my Bible uh, an hour a day. An hour a day, because I bet that's, I bet, I bet they read their Bible an hour a day. So I'm going to set my alarm, 5 a.m., January 1st. I'm going to start, I'm going to read my Bible an hour a day. That's the first thing I'm going to do. Now, let me see. What else do rainers do? Let's, I bet, uh, I bet they pray a lot. I, I'm going to, I'm going to pray an hour a day. I'm going to start, I'm going to, January 1st, I'm going to set my alarm clock at 4. Mm, boy, that's getting early. Um, you know what? I'll, I'll pray for 30 minutes and I'll read the Bible for 30 minutes. That's what I, that's, that's an hour. That'd be good. So I'm, I'm going to pray for 30 minutes. I'm going to read my Bible for 30 minutes. So December 31st comes and I start to set my alarm at 5 a.m. And I'm looking at the clock and it's 1 a.m. You know, I brought the new year in and all. And so, gosh, you know, tomorrow's a holiday. I bet God wouldn't want me to get up at 5 a.m. on a holiday. I'll start January 2nd. January 2nd, I'm going to reign in... Oh, that's Saturday. It's my only day to sleep late. Golly. January 3rd. I'm going to start reigning in life January... Gosh, that's Sunday. Man, I'm already going to pray and read the Bible on Sunday. I probably don't need to pray and read the Bible again, you know. Monday, January 4th, I'm going to start reigning in life. January 4th, 5 a.m., I'm going to pray, I'm going to read my Bible for 30 minutes. Now, listen to me, there's nothing wrong with praying and reading your Bible. But you got it backward here. I'm just, just hear me, just follow me on this illustration. So January 4th, I get up, 5 a.m. I'll come pray for an hour. Oh, man. Lord, I just thank you.
I just praise you. I praise you. Thank you. I got to pick up my laundry today. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, Lord. Had a little carnality there. I'm sorry. I just thank you and praise you. Praise you and thank you. I think I'm going to read my Bible first. I'll read my Bible. I think I'll read the New Testament. It's better than the Old. So-and-so begot so-and-so. So-and-so begot. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. Just had a moment of carnality. See, now this is... Here's my point, okay? We don't reign through our performance. We reign through our position. Listen, there's nothing wrong with praying and reading your Bible. As a matter of fact, I think people who reign in life do pray and read the Bible. But you don't pray, you don't reign in life because Please hear me. It's like the preaching I hear on giving. I'm, you know I'm a giver. I love giving. I preach on giving. I've lived giving for years. But I'm bothered by the preaching I hear on it. Because it's wrong. They flip it. They do it backward. For it, see, Luke 6.38 says, Give and you shall receive. Give and it will be given unto you. Press down, shaking together, good measure, running over will men put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured unto you. That's a great scripture. But that is not the reason I give. It's not my motivation. If you back up and read the context of it, verse 30 says, give to everyone who asks of you, and if anyone asks to borrow from you, give it to them and hope that they don't pay you back. How many of you do that? How many of you lend money and say, oh, I just hope, I just hope, I just hope they can't pay me back. I hope they don't pay me back. You know what he's dealing with? He's dealing with the motive for giving. And what he says is, give just to give. But the result is, the reward is, that when you give with a pure heart, it will be given back to you. Good measure, press down, shake together. See, I don't like the preaching because the preachers preach, give and God will give to you. Give and God will give to you. That's true, but is that our motive? Can you imagine God up there in heaven say, oh, praise the Lord, my people are getting the revelation of getting. They're all giving to get. All right, listen to me. Now, why did I say that? Because the motivation for praying and reading the Bible is not so I can reign in life or so I can get into God's good graces. I'm already in His good graces. God, I want to pray and read my Bible because I want to. Because I have a relationship with God. See, we don't reign through our performance. We reign through our position. It isn't good performers who reign in life. It's good receivers. The way that I reign in life is I receive my position. I receive the abundance of grace. And let me tell you something, He has an abundance. He's never going to run out. He's rich in grace and He's full of grace. He has all the grace that I need. And I receive the gift of righteousness. What is the gift of righteousness? The gift of righteousness is right standing with God. I can never keep all of God's laws perfectly at all times. Therefore, I can never be righteous by the law. I'm going to show you a scripture that says that in just a moment. I can never be righteous by the law. The only way I can be righteous is to receive God's grace and His gift 
his free, unearned, unmerited, undeserved gift of righteousness. And then, through the abundance of grace and the gift of right standing with God, I reign in life. I rule and I reign over every demonic spirit that would try and come against me or my family through my position, not through my performance. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, I'm not saying that if we walk in sin, we still have the authority we need to, to, uh, uh, to overcome and to do what we need to. No, then we're yielding our authority. But it's, it's just a mentality that we have. We have the wrong mentality about this. Romans 6, verse 14. In Romans, look at Romans 6 there. You should still be in Romans 5. Romans 6, 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Now, is that in your Bible? Does your Bible say you are not under law, but under grace? Okay, so I have a question for you. Are you under law? Why'd you pause? You know why? Because it is so ingrained in us. That's your Bible. We just read a verse in the Bible that says you are not under law, and yet I'm telling you, some of you want to argue about it. That's how strong law is. But listen to me. I'm going to tell you something about grace. If you miss everything else in the message, catch this. The righteousness of grace exceeds the righteousness of the law. You want me to prove it to you? Look at this scripture, Matthew 5.20. Jesus said, Accept your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You're not, you're not even going to go to heaven. What was the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? The law. You say, well, they didn't keep it. No one ever kept it. That's not the point. This is what he goes on to say. I don't have these scriptures. Let me just quote them to you. You can read all this. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5. This, now remember, what is grace's name? Who is grace? God and Jesus, right? Jesus, grace came to live on the earth with us. 33 years, grace lived on the earth with us. John 1, he's full of grace and truth. Jesus comes. No. So this is what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. The law says, don't murder. I say, now who, who is he again? He's grace. Grace says, don't even hate your brother because if you hate your brother, you might build up a stronghold in your mind that causes you to do something that you'll regret. You might end up murdering him. See, the law says don't murder. Grace, that's the, the righteousness of the law is don't murder. The righteousness of grace is don't hate. Isn't that farther than the law? <laughs> Jesus, then, then Jesus says, the law said to you, don't commit adultery. But I say unto you, grace says unto you, don't lust in your heart. Because you do, you'll let a stronghold build up and you'll go down that road and you may end up committing adultery and losing your family and ruining your life. You see, the law says, don't, 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 don't. Grace says, I care about you and I love you and I'm telling you, if you go down this line, you're going to be hurt. The law says, don't commit adultery. Grace says, don't do it in your heart either. Would you say that is more righteous than that, than the law? You hear me? See, I'm not promoting lawlessness. Understand me. I'm promoting a higher level of righteousness than the law does. 
That's grace. But the reason that I'm doing it is because I have a love relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus gives me the power then to live the way I should live. See, let me show you the second thing. The second reason that we don't live under grace is we don't understand that we have been released from the law. This is very, very important. Romans chapter 7. Look at your Bible there, Romans 7. Romans 7 verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law. Now, I know he was speaking to Jewish people who knew the law, but I'm telling you what, we know the law too. <laughs> Most of us know the law. We, I, I, I grew up going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and I, that's what they preach, the law. For I speak to those who know the law. Now watch this. That the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Now this is very important. We're going to come back to that. Then he gives us an illustration. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to that husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband so then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she has married another man. And look at verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also, look at this, have become dead to the law, that you may be married to another. That is to Christ, to Him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. See, let me explain something to you. All of us were born married to the law. That was your first husband. Before you became a Christian, you were married to the law. I have a question for you. What kind of husband is he? Did you like him? Did he treat you right? Was he a good husband? Well, let me just point out some things about the law. He can never help you do what's right. He doesn't have the power. And here's what the law does. He always tells you what you do wrong. He never tells you what you do right. He never encourages you. He never compliments you. He, and don't, don't poke someone. Don't poke your husband there. Now, all right, just follow me on the illustration. He's always complaining. He's always critical. He's always condemning. And he always, always, always tells you what you do wrong. That's the law. How do you like being married to him? That's the law. And every one of us were born married to the law. And you have to understand this. He never helps you do what's right. He cannot. The law cannot produce righteousness. Would you like to see the Scripture? Galatians 3. You can just flip over there to Galatians 3. Hopefully you put a marker or something there. Galatians 3, verse 21. Is the law against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, boy, watch this carefully. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Do you see that right there? He's saying if the law could have given life, righteousness could have come from the law. In, in other words, can the law produce righteousness? No. Let me tell you something about this husband. The law is an impotent husband. The law cannot produce good fruit in us. All it can do is give us the knowledge of sin. But the only one who can set us free from sin is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. Alright, let's keep reading. 
The Scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, watch this carefully, we were kept under guard by the law. All right, now have you ever seen anyone kept under guard? What, what do you think of when you think of someone being kept under guard? Guns? What about bars? Change? Does this sound like a great good marriage here? This, this was where we were before Christ. We were kept, we had the law always with his gun. Don't do that, don't go there, don't do that, don't do that, do that. How many of you like to be married to someone who keeps you in chains behind bars and holds a gun on you? That's the law. You, you know, this ought to be good news to you. You ought to say, thank you, Lord. I'm not married to the law anymore. I'm married to a loving, kind, compassionate, gentle Savior named Jesus Christ. All right. We were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to look and see what it's there for, okay? It's important. I, therefores are kind of summing it up. Therefore, the law was our tutor. Now, let me ask you, what was our tutor? And we'll just ask you one more time, make sure we get this. What was our tutor? The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. What, what was the tutor you said? Are we under law? No. Does that mean we live lawless? No. We live more righteous. We live more righteous than people out in the world who've never been saved, and they're living under the law. And the law is condemning every one of them to death. But we ended, see, we ended our relationship with the law and married Jesus. Go back to Romans 7. And look at verse 6. Romans 7, verse 6. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. You see that? This is what Romans 7 is telling us, chapter 7 is telling us. We were married to the law, and the law is an impotent husband. The law cannot produce. See, the Bible says, we, we read that in verse 4, says that you may bear fruit to God. I cannot bear fruit to God by being married to the law. So I'm married to the law, and as long as, as, long as the law's alive and I'm alive, I'm in trouble. I'm married to the law. There's no way I can marry someone else unless one or two happen, things happen. Either the law dies or I die. And I got, I got some good news for you. I, I was reading this yesterday. So this, this is hot off the press. Jesus said, not one jot or one tittle of the law will pass away until it's been fulfilled, until the law has been fulfilled. Right? Do you know what he said right before that? This blew me away yesterday. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. I have a question for you. Did Jesus fulfill the law? Yes, He did. By faith, I can die to the law because Christ has fulfilled it. I can die to it. 
And when I die, then I'm now released from the law and I can be married to another husband. That is to Christ. That's what Romans 7, 4 says. I now can be married to Christ. Here's the problem though. We try to impress our new husband by keeping a good relationship with our old husband. Try that in the natural and see how that works. <laughs> Lord, I'm doing all the things that the law is telling me to do. I'm cooking and cleaning for the law. You like me? Does this make me feel, does this make me more in your good graces? I'm doing what the law says. Galatians 3, verse 1 says, O foolish Texans. Well, he was writing to Galatians, so he called them Galatians. But I'm talking to Texans today. You foolish Texans, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed and crucified? And then he says this, this only do I want to learn from you. You know what he's saying? I got one question for you. Now I have one question for all of you. I got one question for you, Paul said. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Answer that question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Which one? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, you're now being made perfect or perfected or going on to maturity by the works of the flesh. Is that strong? <laughs> See, it is not my performance. It's not my works of the flesh. It's not how many things I can do for God to get into God's good graces. Listen, my children do not have to perform to be my children. They are my children because they were born in my family. They have my name. They're my children. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, I have been adopted into a new family. And my position in that family is not dependent upon my performance. Now, there are a lot of things in life. My victory and me being able to overcome as I receive that abundance of grace. And if I receive it and allow grace and allow righteousness to have a work in my life, then I can overcome in this life. But it's by receiving the abundance of grace. Is by understanding this. That uh, in Galatians, I mean uh, in Romans 7 verse 6, we read a moment ago, it says you have been delivered from the law. That's a military term. Some versions say released from the law. But it actually, it's a military term which means discharged from the law. You have been discharged from the law. Militarily, you were under guard, you were in the service of the law, you've been discharged. Now, I, I was never in the service. I tried to get in. They didn't have any openings for generals, and so I didn't, uh, didn't get in. Uh, but anyway, I, I, was, I was never in the service. But let me, tell you, let me explain something to you. I understand a little bit about it. All of us have some, some knowledge of it. If you serve in the service, and you're there for three years, or five years, or 20 years, whatever it is, and then all of a sudden you get discharged one day, and you go into the barracks, and you take that uniform off, and you put on civilian clothes, and you're walking across the compound, and you're headed for the gate, and all of a sudden you hear some sergeant say, Soldier! And you turn around and salute before you even realize it. 
And then you realize, I'm a civilian. I'm not, I'm not a soldier anymore. I don't have to salute. I don't have to go to bed when he tells me to go to bed. I don't have to get up when he tells me to get up. I don't have to eat when he tells me to eat. I'm a civilian. I'm free. See, you don't salute the law anymore. You salute the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are not married to the law anymore. You are married to Christ. You're married to Jesus. And the righteousness that we're talking about is produced out of a love relationship with me and with Jesus Christ. With with my relationship with Him. I'm married to Him. The way my wife and I produce children is through love, through our relationship. The way I produce children, fruit in the Spirit, is not through a relationship with the law, but through a relationship with Christ. Well, what about sin? How do I overcome sin? Same thing, under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Please hear me. Grace is the only thing, God's grace, God's fruit, God, 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 is the only one who can produce good fruit in your life. It is my relationship with God that produces holiness and righteousness in my life, not my relationship with the law. I'm going to give you an illustration. 21 years ago, I stood before a preacher with my wife, and I swore that I would be faithful to her. I'm not faithful to her because I swore I would be. My swear is not that strong. And neither is yours. I'm going to tell you why I'm faithful to her. Because I love her. I love her. And I don't want to be unfaithful to her. And I'm telling you from the bottom of my heart, I am absolutely head over heels, passionately in love with her. And there is nothing, nothing, nothing in me that even has a desire to go down that road in my mind. Because I'm in love with her. Love is a greater governing power than law. And the reason that I don't want to be unfaithful to my Lord and Savior is not because I walked down an aisle one day and swore I wouldn't. It's because I'm passionately head over heels in love with Him. And I don't want to anymore. That's grace. Grace produces a freedom and a righteousness in my life that law can never produce. It's a relationship with God. It's a relationship with grace. God wants to marry you and live happily ever after. <laughs> you ever hear that little phrase, and they lived happily ever after? Well, that's just in fairy tales and Christianity. <laughs> the only way you can live happily ever after on this earth is marry Jesus. And you can live happily ever after. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.